Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me today, I am super excited for this conversation. I have with me a amazing, wonderful TTRPG performer, creator, co-founder of an amazing TTRPG stream network, I guess. And uh, yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself so we can get started. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Jaconix or Jack for short. I use he, they pronouns. And yeah, I'm a TTRPG performer, a producer. Writer, I, I try to do anything and everything I can yeah. involved in teach RPGs. I am the co-founder um, of Friends Roll Dice, which is a teach RPG Twitch channel. Where we host a bunch of different games and charity events. Yeah, heck yeah, um, yeah, it's it's so cool. I'm so excited for this one. You and I have been talking for a little bit about another project that I don't know if it'll be announced by the time that this comes out in a month. Still, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> stay tuned for that if you're listening. But yeah, I. What I I try to avoid it's hard because like when I meet people before I interview them, I want to know all the things that I would want to know in an interview. But I'm like, well, yeah. save it so you can save talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the hardest part is just like not asking those questions. But yeah, where I always like to get started is like, how did you even get into nerd stuff in general? Oh, nerd stuff or teach RPGs? I guess it kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean nerd stuff really because I, I what I think is like those early inspirations tend to influence how we interact with TTRPGs. So I'm interested in like yeah. what was like that early stuff for you? Oh, I mean, I remember someone actually meant asking me this, like when was the earliest? So I think my earliest nerdy thing, because for a very long time, I was, I was gifted as a kid mm-hmm. with ridiculous height for my age. <laughs> <laughs> so when it came to anything sports related, I just kind of had a natural... Um, I guess, talent for it because I, in compared to everyone else, I was considerably taller, considerably larger. I could use that to my benefit. For, for a very long time, I would deny being anything close to a nerd. I wanted to be, I was like, nerds, no, I'm a jock. Okay. So like, so, but, but thinking back on it, I've been a nerd for quite a while. I remember, so in primary school, which I think is like elementary school, the equivalent of elementary school in the US, my friends and I would play make-believe all the time. Um, well past the age that, like people would be like, I'm too old for this. We'd keep doing it. And we had like a, one I clearly remember is we had a storyline where we all played characters from Nintendo. So like Yoshi, Bowser, Mario, Waluigi. But at a young age, I like, I don't know, 12, 11 years old, we were like, oh, we, we might get sued by Nintendo if they found out we're using the real name. So let's change the name slightly. Uh, <laughs> so we kind of, we, we role played characters heavily based on Nintendo characters with names like instead of Waluigi, my character's name was Waluigi um, instead of Waluigi because I was yeah. a tall and lanky. <laughs> so I was like, I must be a tall and lanky character. And we had like a browser instead of Bowser. It was very, it was very ridiculous. But thinking back on it, I'd been role-playing for a very long time. I just didn't know it was role-play. Yeah. I think that was like the first like nerdy moment where I was like, Maybe being a nerd isn't too bad, you know. Maybe, maybe all these movies I keep watching where nerds deserve to get like wedgies and <laughs> swirlies. Maybe it's not really like that. Maybe you can just have fun being a nerd and doing weird stuff like this. I think that was like the first, I guess, 
sign of nut um, from me. So were you like playing those video games then? I'm assuming. Yeah. It was more, honestly, it was more watching my friends play them for a while. I didn't really play video games until very recently. Okay. Um, mainly because it was just kind of like, one, kind of expensive to get consoles, and I just wasn't in the place to buy them. And two, my parents were very like education-minded. So like, you need to study when you get home, you study a bit more, and then maybe read a book and then go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it was only in like my later life, like late teens, early like young adulthood, where I've been playing games a lot more. That's cool. Yeah. It's it's fun. Like I've talked to a few people about that. Like before there was online access and things like that. Like a lot of times that was how you interact with your friends. If they're playing a single player game or yeah. even a like two player game and there's more than two of you there, like watching was a big part of of that experience, which I think is like why it translated so easily to stream uh for a lot of people to just be like, oh yeah, well, I was already point, yeah. doing this anyway, so now I can just I've do it. I've never made that connection stuff. before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I I remember like staying up all night watching my my brothers play Legend of Zelda, you know, or oh, like, yeah. and so you know, waiting for that like phantom turn that I was going to get that was never going to happen, and still staying up all night. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun experience and i think it's it's cool like you can still kind of catch a lot of that stuff um surrounding it and still still kind of blend spaces too yeah so i mean you know obviously you're from somewhere in england via accent <laughs> yeah. uh you know where where did you grow up so i grew up in essex um okay so i was born in hackney but stayed there for like max like two or three years and i've been here ever since really it's interesting yeah. <laughs> it's very much not what people would ex- like if anyone outside of the uk asks like thought about i don't know essex or london because we technically count as london um essex yeah. it's nothing like what most people like describe or think it would be like i mean they, I, I remember them making like a reality tv show about essex yeah and that's probably the only like frame of reference that i have is just like very like influencer style posh people yeah, it's that area is the area I'm in very much not. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah. So whenever I whenever I say Essex, I know either people think London, have no idea what I'm talking about, or think about the only way is Essex and they end up just being all wrong. Yeah. So a lot of the time I just say, Yeah, I'm in London. That's fair. Yeah. I mean I, I live in Albuquerque and most people's frame reference for that is breaking bad and I'm like, that's you know Yeah. That's a part of of this city but uh definitely definitely <laughs> not fully representative of what's going on here yeah <laughs> so yeah i get it so what was that like for you obviously i don't know much about essex but like in terms of dealing with being black growing up in essex and uh was there a lot of diversity there stuff like that it's been getting better i think now is probably the best it's ever been okay when it comes to diversity we have but i remember so when i was very young we moved over here I love this is a story from what my parents told me, but we moved in and we were the only people of color on our street, on our, in our entire neighborhood. Mm. And when they moved in, a neighbor, which I think still lives across us, but one of the neighbors saw that we were black and then parked their car in front of our house and refused to let us in. Oh my. Because they just didn't want a black family coming to the neighborhood. It will ruin it. Or I don't know what they had yeah. in mind, but they refused to leave. I think from what my mom told me, like a, for a day like they slept in the car so we had to stay like a, another neighbor who was 
still white, but much kinder and at the very least, maybe less overtly racist. I don't know. Yeah. But they were like, okay, you can stay in my place until they get tired and leave you alone. Yeah. So they say that we stayed at their place for a good, like, a, like a day before wow. the person barricading us from our own house left and let us in. But since then, <laughs> the majority of the street now is people of color got, got honestly, I think, white people the minority at this point um, okay. in our neighborhood in our street which is very interesting to see but um, I think that's the, that was the most overtly I think that's like one, that was when I was like I'm black kind of as a kid I was like oh this is a thing that people care about that I have a different skin color and that's when it kind of like clicked with me mm-hmm. but luckily enough since then I haven't really experienced anything like that in Essex very much definitely have outside of Essex yeah. many times outside of Essex but Within Essex, not so much. It's been pretty good. And the diversity has been picking up more and more for whatever yeah. reason. I, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm not complaining, honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, w- w- was that similarly, like, in school, it was it was fairly diverse or diverse enough that, like, you kids didn't really care? So I was lucky, unlucky, depending on how you look at it, to have gone to a Catholic school, Catholic primary school. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, they tried not to be overtly racist. Yeah. So as a kid, I didn't notice anything. If there was any like racist um, actions towards me, I didn't notice it because it's probably microaggressions at the most, at the least. Thinking back on it, there were definitely teachers who were racist. Definitely thinking back on it, there were many occasions where they were. But as far as growing up, I don't think I can recall any, at, at least not in school. There were definitely occasions outside of school. Like, like I said, I was a jock. I played sports like rugby, football. And there were a couple of occasions where, especially when I started playing rugby, there'd be teams that were entirely white. And I remember this one, one match we played in against our schools. Like, like, they were like our rivals because we, we would always end up against them in the finals every single year, regardless of um, whether it's girls, the girls team or boys team. So they're kind of our rivals. And the team, our coach was walking to the, their coach. You talk to them and it's like pleasantries. been like, hey, great to meet you. Can't wait to play with you. And as they're walking back, they walk past that team. And they heard one of the boys on that team say, why do they have black people on their team? They should just stick to football instead of rugby. Mm. And I remember it was so jarring how direct it was. Because even yeah. then I was like, I feel like there's something that old people would say. Why would kids say this? But like, no, they're like my age saying this. But our coach told them to like, I want you to demolish them for <laughs> saying that. So like, thanks coach. Yeah, we will. Trust us, we will. Yeah. But yeah. Luckily, other than like, Essex has been good. Outside of Essex is not great. As I feel like many people, even outside of the UK, people have heard how not great it is for people of colour in the UK, which is kind of unfortunate. Especially with yeah. COVID, honestly. I feel like it's been, it's been on the rise with COVID. It's even, yeah, wow. Even worse. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's such a weird thing too, because it's like literally, you know, we're mostly separated. So like, why, why, what do you have to be upset about? Yeah, I don't, I really don't know. I don't know. It's it's very weird, but also kind of not to get be pessimistic. Mm-hmm. I think it's more realistic realistic than pessimistic. But a lot of people would often say like, "Oh, the new generation, um, they're going to change. They they it's going to be a lot easier to change things." I feel like yeah. a lot of people forget that the new generation part. A lot of the new generation is still being raised by the old generation. Yeah, and it's hard. Like I do think we're better off by far. Like I feel like we have a better chance at changing things, but. I feel like people look at it way more optimistically than it is realistic. Yeah, certainly. I mean, depending on how old your parents are, and sometimes even including like cultural differences, it's tough to 
sort of get like a message of like true freedom and like diversity and inclusion and like understand those things. And so, yeah, yeah, I think about that a lot because like I know, you know, the way that I raise my kids is, is very much let people be who they are, you know, treat people with respect, et cetera. But certainly I'm 34 and not every other parent in their mid thirties yeah. <laughs> treats their, you know, talks to their kids that way or, or thinks that way. So yeah, it's, it's true. Like on the one hand, these kids have more exposure to a lot of stuff that's going to allow them to like at least have a broader experience of what the world is actually like. But on the other hand, until they have the gumption and willpower to like rebel against whatever their parents are are teaching them or the school is indoctrinating into them like you're still learning a thing right and so that's yeah becomes tough like so many of us have to go through that process of decolonizing our minds to like not think the way that we think yeah it's very hard because like i feel like a huge part of the problem is definitely white people Mm -hmm. but there are definitely people of color who also have been like you said, their minds have been colonized to follow these beliefs and act on these beliefs. And it's very hard to break out of. Even I catch myself sometimes with like a mindset. It's definitely not what people of color had originally believed mm-hmm. until they were colonized by white people, Europeans and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, we're recording this the day after uh, the Queen of England died. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're we're watching we're watching conversations like that happen, you know, live on Twitter of people being like, "Oh my god," and other people being like, "Really though?" <laughs> like, yeah, it was very upsetting seeing how many people of color were defending the Queen as well. Like, I expected it from like white Brits, but like, yeah, people of color as well. Like, it was kind of hard to watch, honestly. Yeah, it's tough. Like. I don't know. It's it's such a wild thing. Like, I think you posted yesterday. Like, literally, just you don't have to say anything. Like, you could just yeah. literally not say anything, and and that's fine. Because yeah, it is tricky, right? When you talk about like celebrating somebody's death. I mean, we went through this here, at least in the U.S., when they killed Osama bin Laden. Yeah, and so it's like people are cheering for this awful person who was a terrorist who just got killed, and it's like okay, but you're also like you know, there's that like on the one hand, yes, this is good that this has ended on the other hand it's like a person died (laughs) today yeah uh and so like you have to have that like cognitive dissonance of like where does this end and i don't know like i'm not trying to like whatever you know be you but i just it's it's interesting to see that how that plays out and i do agree that there's like okay like you if you don't agree with people cheering for somebody dying you also don't have to say anything in defense of that person if that's not really you know like yeah that's a it's a strange strange world out there. yeah it's it's very like because i think what a lot of people don't at least realize or at least my personal belief when it comes to respect which is always the thing that people like throwing around the word mm-hmm. respect yeah, yeah respect the dead blah blah is that like if a stranger died i will be sad for that stranger mm-hmm. like i will always have a level of like a baseline level of respect mm-hmm. for people but that level of respect won't be constant if someone's been like incredibly kind to me that respect might bump up a bit more like if they do end up passing i would like be in tears but if they're awful that baseline respect would be bumped down where (laughs) i won't give a shit if they die so like i think i feel like people have this weird like philosophy about respect where it should everyone should have the same amount regardless of what they do to you or what they've done yeah and i think that in my opinion that is 
wrong because that can mm-hmm. that lets them get away with so much. Yeah. Well, I think I mean it's like anytime you have an absolute, like you're getting into a territory that's very dangerous. And I think yeah, exactly. This yeah. is another situation of of an absolute that we shouldn't hold. Not all yeah. people who pass uh, were were good people or did good things. And I don't think yeah, it's a it's a tricky tricky area. But yeah, I mean it's you know whatever you know we can move on from the queen but like i think it's this like <laughs> it is interesting seeing that conversation of people trying to like either figure it out or just be oblivious or or just like live in that absolute of like well you know this is a famous person or infamous however you want to look at it of who passed and now we have to say the like condolences things on twitter and it's like well, yeah yeah or, like, or don't you can I don't just know. not just say don't. anything yeah. like you're not going to lose anything if you just stay quiet. Yeah, for sure. So you and I have talked about this. You know, I used to play rugby too, and uh, I love that. I think it's such a fun, such a fun sport, and it really is. Like, I think it's difficult in the sense of like, rugby is one of those sports, that, at least in my experience, where it's like the respect for the ref, the respect for the other players is usually at a higher level of sportsmanship than other sports are. Yeah, I definitely agree. But similarly, when I played, there was a rival team in Albuquerque that was like 90% shitheads, like just asshole people who would like literally like physically try to hurt you, would try to get into fights, like not like trying to play the sport of the game. And I think like that is always tough when you have that situation, like just do something else. Like, you know, we're all here for the same, like this is a common goal. Like if you can't be on board with that, you probably shouldn't play this sport specifically. So, like you said, I feel like the respect for the ref and the coaches and the players is definitely higher. Because I played football as well, I played soccer, played mm-hmm. football as well. And going from football to rugby, it was wild how, like in football, it was normal to argue with the ref. Like, to, if you got in the ref's face, like if you didn't get in the ref's face, you weren't playing the game right. Which is just, <laughs> yeah. when I'm moving from that to a, the, to rugby, where the ref's call is absolute and no one would dare try to. Mm-hmm. Um, get mouthy with the ref was such not whiplash because I welcomed it. I was like, thank God, I am not confrontational. I hate witnessing stuff like that. So just yeah. seeing the skyrocketing respect for the ref when it came to rugby was awesome. But I do agree that I think rugby, because rugby is such a not violent, but like it's a contact sport, mm-hmm. I guess it almost not caters to you, but assholes are much easier. <laughs> more easily welcomed into the sport than yeah. maybe football or, mm-hmm. um, or any other um, uh, sport. Yeah. So I ended up running into, unfortunately, a few assholes who would take the opportunity to get violent for no reason. Yeah. Or just verbally abuse people. I got yeah. a lot of that um, or witnessed a lot of that when it came to rugby, which sucked. But yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying because like, at the very least, all the other teams, because like, it was always a rival team for some reason. I feel like we had the same yeah. stories. Always the rival team. He just wants to get violent for no reason. Mm-hmm. So every other team I played with, like we have like, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but what we do is that after a game, we would all go to like a cafe or a pub and eat mm-hmm. and drink together. Like yeah, yeah. that was just a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we were out on the Asia at that time, so we'd have like apple juice or whatever, or fans yeah. <laughs> but like we'd all eat, we'd all get like dressed, we'd wear like a dress shirt and dress trousers and uh, shoes and tie and then sit down and just chat and talk after the game. But like with the rival team, 
we had to leave immediately because <laughs> we knew that a fight would break out if we didn't. Yeah. And it just sucks because like, I love that sportsmanship, but like, yeah. especially after post-game sportsmanship because that's when you really connect with how much you love the game where you're like, oh, that was a great part you did and like, like just having the, being able to have that back and forth mm-hmm. and appreciate each other's plays and games and just the overall game of rugby itself. For sure. Yeah, we would do that too this was like a men's league. So like we definitely wouldn't get dressed up after we would just be stinky in our (laughs) t-shirts. Yeah. Even with the rival team, they'd still, we would still do that, but it was definitely like a different vibe after Like I said, they're not all the people on the team were, were assholes, but it was like, it was like, we're in the same building, but there's not a ton of interaction between the two. Yeah. And I mean, it's been years since I played with that team. Hopefully it's different now, but yeah, it's, it was a, interesting thing like it there was a history to it like when i joined the team they're like oh we're gonna play this team you know be aware of these things um yeah and it's like fuck like every year like y'all can't figure this out <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting thing how that works out but yeah so i mean you know you're you're doing all these sports and you make it into secondary school do you get introduced to ttrpgs then or is it still later on that that happens yeah, it's actually pretty later on. At this point, I was definitely like accepting the nerddom. I was very much a nerd. Maths and sciences were my subjects. I absolutely freaking loved them. My teachers loved me in yeah. those classes. I'm still doing sports. So I was very much like, at this point, I accepted that I was more than just a jock. I could be yeah. a both. Yeah. Um, so I was like playing video games. I was doing great academically and sp- uh, extracurricular wise when it came to sport. But I hadn't heard of, like, I've heard of D&D, but I was like, I'm not that level of nerd. So I'm not yeah. even going to look into what it is. Like I had no idea what it was, but I just knew like in every show and every movie, it was like the pinnacle of nerds, nerd. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Does, I don't know what it is. So I'm not going to look into it. And I don't find it interesting. Teacher RPGs came way later. I was in like beginning, like a year prior to going into university when I first heard about, like really heard about teacher RPGs. Okay. And even then I had I didn't start playing them. I just heard about actual plays on like streams, people streaming them, the Geek and Sundry. I like to say that my introduction to TTRPGs had two fronts. First, hearing about them, and then second, actually wanting to play them. Hearing about them, I was watching YouTube, Markiplier, great, great video game YouTuber, and I fell asleep to watching Markiplier. And when I woke up, I think autoplay was on, because I woke up and the YouTube was in the middle of an actual play. I just okay. smacked up in the middle of an actual play on Geek and Sundry called Foreververse. And I was like, what is this? This is yeah. just people sitting around the table pretending i'll watch it i guess yeah and i was like oh this is really interesting this is very cool this is all improv they're just rolling dice and figuring out what they want their characters to do that's cool that's weird so i watched that and kind of got into watching actual plays so um so i ended up watching like a bunch of stuff in the backlog from geek and sundry and then i ran into hyper rpg this is the second front when i actually wanted to play them yeah because i ran into hyper rpg they were in a campaign called Colock 1991 mm-hmm. and I was watching and I saw Bria Iyengar. <laughs> Bria yeah. was in it. And I was like, that's when it kind of clicked to me. It was like, oh, shit. They're kind of owning this. They're like a black woman absolutely owning this. Yeah. I want to play now. <laughs> I kind yeah. of want to play. And then that's when I realized like, oh, crap. All the times other actual plays I've been watching, there were no people of color in them. They're all white. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of in my brain subconsciously was like, this is fun to watch, but this isn't for you to play. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. keep watching it. Seeing a Bria was like, oh, this is for me and I do really want to play. So I joined my university D&D club, <laughs> like literally yeah. like a month or two afterwards. That's when it started. That's when I got 
just really into D and D. That's cool. Well, you know, was that uh, early D and D club at your university? Was like, were those fun games? Did you enjoy that like group there? Oh yeah. Um, I've it's been very weird because like after joining the streaming community, I've had a lot of horror stories of like people's first um D and D group. But yeah. mine was really good. Like when it came to race, I was definitely the minority. Uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, that goes without saying. I was yeah. I was I believe I was like one of two pure color um, on the table. But the group was very. They're all queer. They're all queer. That was mm-hmm. very nice as well. They're very diverse. Yeah. And they all took like, we didn't have lines and veils, but they took people's boundaries seriously. So whenever someone did bring up being like, oh, I don't feel comfortable with this, they would cut it immediately. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So like, it was, I was very lucky when it came to that group. And it was very fun. I got to play a full campaign before the pandemic hit. I got to play a full campaign where like, I went from like, starting off as a noble. I, was, I played a dragonborn noble. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love, I love dragons. I've loved dragons all my life. I played a Dragonborn noble who had a very, very boring backstory, admittedly. Um, <laughs> it was like, he was just like, I'm rich, but I want to see the world. And that was it. I was pretty much yeah. there, a yeah. backstory. But it was fun. It was great. Like, he was very much, our GM was very much a rule of cool person as well. So I didn't get the rules lawyer kind of horror stories I've heard others have. Yeah. It was always like, I don't know, this is cool. Do it. There you go. <laughs> Here's an item that's very OP. Do something with it. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. So, it was a very natural switch from going from that very welcoming group to an even more welcoming like community when it came to streaming. Yeah. Which was nice. And I kind of was forced to anyway after the pandemic because you can never meet in person anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, getting into the streaming side, how did you jump into that? Because it's, it's kind of daunting, like joining the space and then just being like, you see all these people who are already doing stuff and already made groups together and things like that. Like, what was that like for you? Again, like, I, think, I feel like I was very lucky because... I had met a friend of mine, Scriv the Bard. I met them through Twitch because of someone retweeted their like going live tweet on Twitter. And I saw it. I was like, oh, I want to check it out. Just hang out there. And the channel is pretty small. It was like max two or three viewers. So me and Scriv were like just chatting about yeah. stuff. Like just, it was pretty much back and forth almost instantly. We were just talking about TTRPGs. And they mentioned wanting to play like stream TTRPGs. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know like there was the networks you can meet and like just stream. I thought these people were celebrities already and they were getting reached out to rather than vice versa. So I kind of started doing some poking around and like looking through Twitch and Twitter followings and recommendations and ended up finding other doc, their stream on Twitch. They were looking for members to be in a one shot. And I thought like, yeah, why not? I guess I have nothing else to do. Um, I'm stuck in my room, isolating, quarantining because like, this pandemic had just started a month ago. It hopefully will be over in the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, did I know? Um, but I played two years and, later. Two years later, so I played with them, and I was very nervous. I was terrified. I'd always been very anxious and nervous. I'd always had like a level of social anxiety and a huge amount of stage fright when it came to performing any capacity. Yeah, but I wanted to do this one thing because one, it was fun. And two, I wanted to really throw myself in a deep end to get over my stage fright and anxiety. Because mm-hmm. it, it really frustrated me that I got so nervous and anxious when I talked to people. I was yeah. like, I'm just going to exposure therapy, just throw myself in, <laughs> right into a deep end and hope it gets better from there. And that game, I was so nervous. I was like, I'm just going to play a nervous character and just let people think I'm acting. Yeah. Um, I played it and it was great. And I played with some uh, person, a good friend of mine, Jen. And after playing with me, they were like, I really enjoyed playing with you. I'm like one of the, like not co-founders, but I'm part of another TTRPG channel. 
do you want to play with us? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll play with you all. <laughs> Uh, so that kind of like they kind of like helped me. They ushered me into the two chubby space, streaming space, a lot easier than I imagine a lot of people have um, had. So it ended up being pretty easy, and it also became at the peak, at least in the US, of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were admittedly tokenizing, but were looking for black people <laughs> to yeah. be in their streams. So a lot of people reached out to me um, after that, like, "Hey, you want to be in our charity stream for Black Lives Matter?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I guess." Yeah, I'll play. I'll play, <laughs> and that kind of like gave me that might put my foot in the door, I guess, from there, and kind of I shot my way further in after that. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to see just like how it all can happen and come together, and the steps that it takes. Because it's you know when you jump into the space, it's like, all right, well, I guess I find people and yeah, and go from there. But yeah, I mean, that's that's how sometimes those things are like some of the best. Like, I mean. When Lexi and I first started talking, Lexi, Black Girl Mage, for audience members who don't know who I'm talking to, talking about, she had just started streaming, and I joined the stream, and it was the same thing. There was like just a few viewers, and we just like yeah. bullshitted in the in the <laughs> in the chat, and just like, and then now you know we're friends, and so it's like, the, you know, sometimes those are are great times. Like I prefer a stream chat that has just a couple people because I yeah. get overwhelmed when there's a lot. Unless it's the Strix, and I'm just super excited because it's amazing. Oh God, the Strix is so good. I God, if I watched anyone it listening, yesterday. if you haven't watched it, you need to watch the Strix. You need to. Strix it's, is so good. Yeah, absolutely. Look up Black Girl Mage on YouTube and go find all the VODs because uh, there will be a couple at least by the time that this comes out. But yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah it was. Incredible. I watched it twice. Um, but yeah, I most of the time it's like okay, like this is a couple people, and this is a person that I'm like you know, interested in what they're doing and uh, yeah, I'll just go chat. And I think that that's such a great way to like get to know people in a very genuine way. So I love that. You know, you now have friends who roll dice, which you're a co-founder for, um, you do production and stuff like that for it as well. Like how did that come together after this you know, early start? So like I mentioned, Jen introduced me to another channel, which I, I'll be honest, I cannot remember the name of. While I was there, I played a couple of games. I think I played like two one-shots in my time there. Kids on Bikes, highly recommend. Very fun game. Afterwards, Jen started like confiding in me about some not-so-great things that were happening in that channel. Mm. And we were like, fuck it, let's leave and just make our own. <laughs> so, like, they, so Jen and a couple of other people left. At this point, I was too new to the TTRPG space that I just didn't know what was going on. So I was, you know, they were just confiding me in a, as a friend. But I wasn't yeah. like part of the original conception of the idea of even mm-hmm. leaving and making a new channel but so they went off and started like brainstorming ideas for another channel with that group and then later on jen was like hey we we want to create a new channel do you want to be one of the co-founders i was like i i've been here for like three or four months i don't know what i'm doing but yeah i'll join yeah. <laughs> sure uh, so that's kind of how it came to fruition it just we just were like we want to make a better safe place for people to come in and get introduced mm-hmm. to rpgs and just vibe and be in because a lot of people have found it hard to find a space in the TWG community, especially marginalized people. So we wanted yeah. to make a space that was specifically catered to marginalized folk. And yeah, that's how French Royal Dice came to, um, came to be. The name itself, so I would, like I said, I wasn't around when the original conception of French Royal Dice was like, being done. Because yeah. I was just like, I'm in school, I need to focus on this, I can't really help much. But from what they told me, the name came up, which was very funny. They were arguing about the name for so long 
that they it, it came to a point where they felt like there was actual tension between people yeah. for the name. And one of the members, our dear friend Cole, was like, what if we call it a friend's role, Dyson Cry? Because <laughs> they were so stressed about everyone being tense about it. And they were like... Hey, y'all. It's your favorite host. And I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show... Uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just you know go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow leave a review if you can Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show and it is always greatly appreciated link is in the description thank you so much and back to the episode wait a second forget the cry part friends roll dice that's a good idea (laughs) so that's kind of how the name came to fruition i I just love telling that story because it's so funny to me that the name that i feel like gives a connotation of like kindness and friendship came from a point of very intense tension <laughs> high tension um in the group which is very it's just very amusing to me yeah but yeah since then we've been doing our best to bring in as many new people as many veterans as well mm-hmm. into the space and introduce new TTRPGs and new systems to people and i think we've done a pretty from what i can tell i feel like we're doing a pretty good job yeah yeah definitely i think like that can't be understated how how important it is to find a place that makes you feel welcome so i was i was i opened twitch i was trying to there was a channel that i was getting a lot of alerts for but that i don't want to watch anymore and and uh, haven't watched in a long time so i was trying to go in there to like unfollow that channel and it was like i guess i don't know how like if it was like friend streaming or it was like a suggested stream or whatever for another show and i was like hang on and i'm looking at the names and it's all Japanese names for the characters. And it was for perceptively cis white men playing the characters. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this doesn't feel good. As, like, I'm yeah. not Japanese, but like, I've had my culture appropriated enough to um, be upset whenever it's happening to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like that's like a thing that happens so much in the space and it's like it was even for me a person who's been doing this for a year like i just accidentally came across it so it's like if you're new and you're just trying to find stuff like you're gonna accidentally come across this stuff yeah um and i think yeah having places like friends rule dice like that can provide a safe place for the players for the audience a place where people can feel like included i think is huge absolutely huge yeah and i feel like but a big thing as well is like the example you gave of like just cis white men playing Japanese characters. It's like at, I think at the end of the day, telling Japanese, let's go with Japanese, Japanese stories is important. And I think having Japanese characters, telling Japanese stories is very important. But those stories should be 
centered around being Japanese mm-hmm. instead of almost wearing Japanese as a costume. If you know, yeah. it, it just feels weird to me. Like yeah. it's almost like very similar to um, so slavery in TWG is a very high, contentious, like high, and racism in TWG is like a very big thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people either say don't include it at all, or there are situations where you should. And in my opinion, when it comes to anything like that, I think it one you should do it tastefully first like talk to people who have experienced it or know about it first but two i don't think it should be a backdrop it shouldn't be a costume or backdrop if you're going to play a game about racism i'd rather it be one i'd rather just not white people doing it i think that's very (laughs) weird in general i think it's just a very weird thing but even with people of color i'd rather it not be like a backdrop of like oh this this race is our slaves anyway let's go on an adventure i'd rather be like oh no the adventure is freeing like decolonization i Mm -hmm. I want the story to be about this thing rather than it be a weird backdrop because then it makes it feel like a prop you know it means Mm -hmm. it makes it feel like like it's the equivalent of a backdrop or a prop which makes it so much easier and more like to just be seen and come across insensitive but at the same time it's so hard to do that that maybe just don't include it (laughs) like that's also an option like a very valid option to especially if you're going to use it as a backdrop anyway just don't include it because it's not going to affect your story yeah i talked about absolutes earlier and i think that that's the same thing like you know because there are games uh trooper uh sjp plays games yeah um that are about world war ii that like include racism and like fighting nazis and so it's like yes i think i i think 100 dnd should stop using the word race in their games i think that they should stop writing like racist and slave tropes into their games for characters but I think that if a table wants to explore that and they have the capacity to tell that story, then I think that that is something that can happen. But yeah, when those conditions are met, then you have a situation where it's like, okay, well, we're going to tell this story. And like you said, we're going to tell it tastefully. Uh, we're going to explore it in a way that all the players are safe. And hopefully with the GM who understands how to navigate this without making it feel uncomfortable for everybody right like like trooper talked about like alluding to stuff instead of just being like oh yeah you walk in the door and all of a sudden now uh the you know the the guys being like super gross and like actually play acting out that gross stuff like that's that's a completely different thing than like making a suggestion of something um to allow the players to like work through it so yeah i think it's it's important how it's done but i think a lot of people don't give consideration to that and it really needs to have consideration because you can unwittingly hurt somebody. And if you don't care about that, then you're an asshole. So Exactly, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, even if you're, like, you're okay with it, if the community that you're actively hurting says no, stop doing that, and you don't care, then you have no leg to stand on. Like, you're just yeah. an asshole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know. People really need to figure that out. Have you... Um, so, I mean, you, you had only been doing streaming for a couple months, you had said. So how long, like, once you joined the, the team, like, became a co-founder, like, you, I'm assuming then it's like, okay, well, now we got to figure out, like, how do you learn how to produce and edit this stuff? Yeah. So prior to um, streaming on the Teach RPG streaming, mm-hmm. I, like, I feel like many people tried being a video game streamer. So I had, like, okay. the basic understanding of how, like, OBS worked. But when it came to, like, production, like, because, like, for example, with TGRPGs, your channel, or at least even with normal streaming now, especially with um, how um, 
advanced it got in. Trying to like route sound in different ways in different places mm-hmm. on different scenes. Like I could never do that. I even when I was streaming like just video games for like a month, I never mm-hmm. learned how to do that properly. So yeah. jumping to streaming teach RPGs and having to learn that was a lot. It, YouTube helped me a lot, basically. Yeah. A lot of YouTube tutorials, a lot of watching other actual plays as well um, helped out a lot. But we kind of, I feel like if you watched our early streams, you could see us fumbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you could see a lot of the mistakes we were making, a lot of the things we were learning on the fly. But gradually we got better and better at it. And I think it was, that was like really, I recently was looking back on it. It was really fun and cool to watch the progression yeah. of our experience and understanding of how to produce teacher RPGs grow. Um, but at first, we started off with one campaign. We only had one campaign on the channel. Um, it was a D&D campaign called The Mind and the Martyr, which is still going on now, going on quite um, strong. So we kind of did our fumbling and figuring out things there. And then I think our growth when it came to production really came when we started doing charity streams. Yeah. Because at that point, we were like, okay, we can't be the only players playing in this 10-hour charity stream. <laughs> yeah. We need to start casting and think, finding other people to come on and make production as clean and easy for these people coming on as possible that's kind of when we started like streamlining and properly figuring out our shit yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you know it it was a lot of youtube tutorials and asking a lot of people because i was lucky enough to have friends who had already been streaming for Mm -hmm. a while so a lot of them had like an idea of what went into it prior to this anyways like jen for example jen had been streaming with that other channel for a while that they kind of knew the basics of everything but we wanted to just go another level above that. So even then, Jen started to learn along with us yeah. and scramble to figure things out. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I've, I've done one stream that I ran by myself where it was just like an art stream. And yeah, just to learn like that little bit of OBS was kind of a, like, shit, this is going to, this sucks. Like, it's hard. Yeah. So yeah, I can imagine like getting to that level of like, okay, making sure, like I've been a part, I mean, I've been a cast member of other streams where it's like, you got to get all of the uh, faces in the right box and, yeah. you know, fix the names and the title card and everything else. And it's like, it takes a lot of work for somebody to do in the background. So yeah, yeah it's definitely a skill for sure. Like producing a stream. I haven't learned yet. I don't have the time for that. It definitely helped, especially with our channel. It definitely helped that we had, we had a few people. Like we had like, at that time it was like four people. Mm-hmm. four or five people and th- i think three of us were able to actually like tech produce because not, yeah. not everyone had the computers that could handle it so like we would split the jobs between one of us like i and still do i tend to take charge of the actual organization of the games like getting cast members getting their headshots getting character descriptions setting up session zeros like i would do that kind of behind the scenes admin stuff yeah while the other members would do the tech production or the art i'm um, cold was an artist so they would do like the art for the overlays and stuff which we appreciate it so greatly. Their art is incredible. Yeah. Their overlays were amazing. So like we would like divvy up the jobs that made it a lot easier to figure out. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there were only like five of us. So there were occasions where life would just happen and one of us would be like, okay, I need to learn how to do this one skill that I thought I would never need to learn yeah. um, quickly to cover up for them. So yeah, it ended up being like organized, but the occasional mad scramble in there that we ended up at the end, we ended up just learning everybody's roles because at some point everyone needed to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. It's like now it's a lot more streamlined. And I mean, now you have more producers too, right? Yeah. So we brought in more tech producers because like that's always been a limiting factor. Two of the members of French Royal Dice are in the UK. So that's already one thing that's hindering us. A lot of (laughs) our productions are for US um, players or US audiences. 
So not all of us are willing or able to just sacrifice sleep <laughs> consistently. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we wanted to bring a more tech piece for that. But also it was just a few members of our original members of French World Dice had to leave because just life happened. Like one of our par- one of our characters characters, one of our members became a dad and had mm. just dad things to take care of. So like obviously yeah. we didn't wanna uh, this was very much a pursuit of passion. There was no we weren't making any money at the time. We're still not really making any money that goes to us. So we didn't want to be like why would why would you leave to look after your kids for this free endeavor that we're not paying you for? Like obviously we couldn't do that. So I wanted to bring yeah. on more people um, who were willing to not just volunteer but also believe in what we were trying to do. Um, that was the biggest thing as well because especially for me, having like I said, I came on into TWG streaming in the height of like Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tokenization. I remember being in a stream where a charity stream where they're raising money for Black Lives Matter, and I was the only black person. Mm. And it felt so weird to me. Like I'm sure they had the best interest in mind, but it felt mm. very much like, hey, look at what we're raising money for. Yeah. Look at yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Like the mo- one experience like, when I experienced that's like I refuse to let anyone else experience that. So I'm gonna make sure this channel is not that. Yeah. So we wanted to bring on people who had that same mentality of we want to make sure it's welcoming and safe for people to come onto mm-hmm. and not feel tokenized or like a point on a checklist or anything like that. Yeah. And we're lucky enough to actually bring amazing people who exactly had that mindset and had that goal. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I um recently interviewed, recently like a couple of months ago, interviewed uh Momo right after they had become a producer for y'all. And I yeah. Um I yeah, I love that. I love that idea and I love that mentality. I haven't been able to do as many one shots as I would like, but I am I am always thinking about that of like how the cast is constructed and um you know who's being left out and even honestly when it comes to my interviews like thinking about like you know how the people that i'm reaching out to or the people that are reaching out to me and how i might uh answer that question of whether or not um it's a good fit for the show and so yeah it's but it's important that we've created platforms that people can that people will use so how do we make sure that the right people for what our goals are, are using that platform and, you know, getting the best out of it. Yeah. When it comes to this, like friends that friends roll dice is not the only thing you do. You, cause you're in like as many shows yeah. as you can get in. Right. <laughs> yeah. I definitely went through, and I still am very much. am in a high fixation when it comes to teach RPG streams. Yeah. But, you know, I'm playing in a bunch of different games. I, I used to be in the mind and Mods on French roll dice, mm-hmm. but after I left, cause, um, Back then, I was I was just deep in like the, like studying. Your exams were coming. I was like, cannot juggle this and mind mm-hmm. um, and I set the way, but then as things like lightened up a bit, I was like, I love French roll dice, but I kind of want to do things outside of it as well. So I just yeah. kind of throw my head in every ring I could find, um, and a lot, apparently a lot more people wanted me in their games than I even I expected. And it's been pretty it's been pretty cool. I've been being able to play with very awesome people that I would never have imagined I'd have played with. Like one that was like mind blowing to me, and this was like within the first like six months that I started streaming. Was I got to play with Abria, the one oh, per- wow. the literally yeah, the person yeah. who inspired yeah. me to start playing. Yeah. But like I, and then since then I played with like so many other people on so many different channels. I got to play on the D and D official channel at some point, which is very wild to me. Yeah, no, I've I've been I feel like I've just been very lucky. I've made a lot of really good friends. A lot of people gave me a chance mm-hmm. as well, which is a big thing for me. Like I was very much new in the space and i think it's very easy for people to be like uh i don't want to risk on this new person let's go with someone i know for sure yeah but a lot of people just gave me the chance 
Utopia was a very big one as well, actually. Utopia, Jess, Verse of Hope, absolutely loved them. Um, and B Zelda were like my, we joke about it, but they would joke about them being my, like, my teachers, my senseis. Yeah. When it came to teach RPGs. Like, I would ask them any questions that I didn't understand, I didn't know about when it came to the space. Mm-hmm. Like, should I watch out for this person? Is it normal to be, like, when I got paid for the first time, I was like, is this a normal rate? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. this is, seems, I didn't know we could get paid for this. <laughs> I yeah, thought we were yeah. doing this for free. So they were like, advise me on that kind of stuff. They, they helped me get into a one shot on Gen Con. Um, like, yeah, like it was when Gen Con was virtual, when Gen Con, two years ago, when Gen Con was mm-hmm. virtual, when they used it to virtual um, Twitch, I got to play there. And I feel like personally, that's where I really, I guess, set off because a lot of people watched it. Like a lot of people yeah, yeah. saw it and was like, okay, cool. I want Drac in my game now. Mm-hmm. I give all credit to having established my place, I guess. Yeah. It just feels very weird to say, but I feel like I've established my place in the TWB space. But I owe all of that to B and Jess, honestly. Like, they helped me get in and have continued to support me in, most, in everything I've done. Yeah. So if you're listening, both of you, thank you. If you're not, I don't know, someone uh, <laughs> clip this and send it to them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think um, the first two places that I uh, learned about you was, and I don't remember what, in which order, but you were in a game for Three Black Halflings. Yeah. And then on Brandy's show, Eat Crit. Three Black Halflings, mind-blowing. That yeah. blew, playing with Brennan. Oh, yeah, that that's right. With, yeah. yeah, I played with Brennan Lee Mulligan. I think that was when I first played with Three Black Halflings. And after that, I played again, with them again on the D&D channel. When I played with Brennan Lee Mulligan, I was like, oh, don't freak out. <laughs> Act normal, <laughs> yeah. ca- casual. <laughs> Brennan is wonderful as well, which is wild to me. Like, I'm always ready because like, it's very unfortunate, but it's kind of a fact that saying don't meet your heroes is often a thing you should abide by because they yeah. often are kind of awful and shitty people but <laughs> yeah <laughs> chatting with brennan I'll, I'll at least chatting with brennan in that session because we had some technical difficulties so mm-hmm. a lot of it was just us chatting and talking while we're trying to fix these technical difficulties yeah, yeah. and brennan was just wonderful they were very sweet they're awesome to talk to incredible role player as everyone is aware yeah but just all just nice to chat with and talk to so yeah i, I didn't know that actually. i didn't know that you that was how you first came across me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which which is amazing. I mean, you know, and like you guys play Paradigm Perfect, which is like the you know it, the game is improv. Also, like that's yeah. such a great yeah. you know uh, time to play with Brendan for sure. Um, but yeah, one thing I do remember on your episode uh, with Brandy was that at the time you were very excited to play a villain, and I, you've been playing. Yeah. <laughs> is that game still going on? I don't know. Yeah, so we're on a, I believe we're on a hiatus just between seasons because we're just trying okay. to schedule it because schedule yeah. has been rough. One of our cast members is from Australia. Mm, <laughs> so we're trying yeah. to, we have to try and find a time that works for them as well. How has that been to be able to play a villain for this long now? Because that was like a year ago when you talked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had two seasons since then. Oh, three, I think. I don't I can't remember at this point. But um, no, it's been a lot of fun because, so I haven't played for very long, but I've played a lot of games. We have reached mm. a point where I'm like, when I really think about it, a lot of the people we, or a lot of the characters we say are heroes, are kind of borderline villains anyway. Yeah, for like, sure. We, like, a lot of characters are murder, straight up just murder people. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, they stole your purse, but I don't know if killing them was <laughs> warranted. <laughs> that bandit was probably trying to supply, like, get money for their family and just yeah, were yeah. on hard times. <laughs> yeah. But like, playing a villain where you're like, just 
absolutely dropping the pretense of this is for this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's been very fun because it lets I feel like it gets lets you explore and tackle how unheroic our heroes are. Because mm-hmm. Parliament of Hours, for example, is actually the villain half of a film series. Uh, another one is called Court of Covid on Q Time. That's mm-hmm. the hero half. So like they're yeah, following yeah. the heroes of the same world, same campaign. And from everything I've heard from my GM Jake that Court of Covid has done, they are not different from the villain. <laughs> they're not different from the villains. Like they're barely they're, they're different in title alone. Yeah. So it's just sure. been very fun exploring how easy it is to twist what we think of as heroes into villains. Mm-hmm. And I think part of Pathfinder's lens that plenty to that really well as well. Yeah. Remember, especially the high level spells, the high level spells are fucked up. Yeah. Like there's one of them I think was like, I can't remember the name of it, but I think it's called Final Sacrifice, which is the one I took, <laughs> which is just a spell that anyone can take. Like it's not like, like anyone can take it, but it's basically you make one of your minions explode. You just yeah. outright kill them to deal damage to someone else. And I was just like, I'm playing the villain, so this is easy to do. But how yeah. are you going to justify a hero taking this? I don't know how you're going to do this. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just wild. So getting to explore has been fun. And getting to explore different types of villains as well. Mm-hmm. It's like my character is Imra Adleth. And he's just a like narcissistic, power-hungry villain. Like classic, like, there's, no, there's honestly no redeeming factor to him. He is just evil for the sake of being evil. Mm-hmm. And, and wanting power. But then within the cast, there are others like um, Liv, Liv in a Day, absolutely adore them, incredible role player. Yeah, their absolutely. villainy is honestly not really villainy in my opinion, but they're uh, from a coven of witches who've been frequently oppressed and burned and killed mm. by people outside of their coven. And they're just tired of it and want revenge, which yeah. I'm like, yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> as you should, as, you, as anyone would. So like it was, it's just been cool seeing that different aspects of villainy and being able to play them out. And like recently I've gone to play another villain and I got to guess as a villain in a campaign where I got to play like the very, I'm so sorry I need to do this, but this is bigger than you kind of villain. Like yeah. it's not personal. I'm not murdering because I hate you. It's someone else I'm trying to get at and you are the way to get at them kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so getting to explore that has been fun. I want to see, I highly recommend it. It's also very cathartic because I'm very much not a confrontational person. Again, yeah. to be confrontational in a space that I know there are no consequences <laughs> yeah. uh, or serious consequences in my action. It's just been very nice to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, do you have like a favorite system? Because I, I mean, Pathfinder 2E is, uh, I mean, one that we've talked about a lot. And uh, uh, yeah, but do you, do you have like a favorite system? Oh, that's, that's honestly tough. I really enjoy Pathfinder because with the way I, I guess my brain works, I'm, I won't be surprised just because I'm very much like a numbers, kind of numbers person. Mm-hmm. I enjoy how crunchy it is, how there's like mechanics for nearly everything. Yeah. There are mechanics for any si- little thing that you, could, you would want to do. Um, and I really like that because then, I don't know, I, I'm always able to be like, without asking the GM, be like, hey, GM, can I do this? I can be like, I'm going to do this because there's a rule for it. I don't need to like, slow the pace of play and just be like I'm going to do this I'm going to roll for it whereas with like D&D and like even like masks I always feel like I have to like pause the game and be like hey GM I have an idea can I do this idea okay cool mm-hmm. let's get back into role play I don't yeah. it just it, I feel like for me the crunch of it lets role play continue seamlessly 
which I feel like is the opposite for a lot of people, which I, yeah. I very much understand. But I also really enjoy Cypher. I feel like Cypher is a really good in-between of French mm-hmm. and like Rules Light. One, it has a dear place in my heart just in general because the first um, active play that I fully followed, like I was hooked on week by week, was a Savage System campaign on Twitch called uh-huh. Callisto 6. It's a superhero campaign. It was, very, it was so much fun. It was such a fun watch. I have very fond memories attached to watching it, but also playing it is very sim because it's a D20 system and it's got enough crunch where you can be like, I know what I'm going to do without needing to ask the GM for permission. Yeah. But also loose enough for you to do just the weirdest and wackiest things. Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous. So I think it's either between Pathfinder and Cypher. I, I don't think I could choose. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, Pathfinder is great. Like, the, the character customization of it yeah. If we haven't promoted what we're going to do yet, then this will be your vague, spoiler-free <laughs> promo. But Drac and yeah. I will be playing a game of Pathfinder 2e together with some other amazing people. Uh, I will be running the game, and I am so excited to <laughs> get into it based on our character options, based on the ideas I have, the themes. But yeah, it really does lend itself to that because it's like, oh, okay, like I have a theme for this character. Yeah, I now can start applying skill feats, general feats, class feats, ancestry feats, so many feats, to the character to to mold them into what I want them to be thematically. And yeah, I mean, we talked about like playing, it ended up not happening, but like playing uh, the inventor from Shira with the hair, the prehensile hair. Yes, Entrapta. Entrapta, yes. Yeah, like you could literally make a character like Entrapta in... It's wild. In like, it's so good because like, I think what my thing has always been like at this point, especially because I play a lot of D&D. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, D&D is like very much mainstream. It's a lot easier to find a D&D game. And I found what was very frustrating to me is that very rarely is there like mechanical benefits to the flavor you add to your characters. Unless you have a, a very cool DM, there's very rarely yeah. like mechanical benefits to it. But then... So I, can, I could say I have prehensile hair in D&D, but I can't do anything with it because it's just yeah. flavor. I can just say it does this very weird, cool thing where yeah. it's not going to be useful. But in Pathfinder, it's literally like an ability attached to it, which specifically says what you can do with the hair. Yeah. And so now, not only is it just very cool flavor, very cool thing that a character looks like, but now it can be beneficial in, in combat or in, like, uh, I don't know, if you get caught, if you're a hostage, you can now use your hair to unlock it. Like, yeah. there's things you can do with it now that you don't have to be like, please, GM, can I do this? I know the rules don't let me, but can I? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just, it's a big factor, winning factor for me for Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so fun. I mean, that's what you can get like lost just making characters, cause just scrolling through all the different options that you have. Um, and then they keep making more books. Um, so yeah, and, yeah. There's new options all the time. <laughs> I am going to be part of a new podcast that is a Star Wars podcast, and like the amount that we were able to like get so close to what we wanted for our characters out of that system, and some of us aren't even playing the same class. Like it's it's just so wild the options that you can yeah. do that you can make it like this is the thing that I'm doing, and I really love that a lot. Especially like if you're playing a lot of different characters, it's great to have that ability to like customize. Yeah, and differentiate them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have any other like big projects coming up other than ours, of course? Um that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you're excited for that you wanna kind of just talk about before we close up? Yeah. 
it's been postponed, so I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure when it's going to be coming out, but keep an eye out because Brandy, Lexi, and I, and Jess as our editor, have mm-hmm. all worked together with Roll or Roll app to mm-hmm. produce an actual play called Kill Screen. We're going to be yeah, showing off yes. the Chrome um, system. Um, we should have, we've aired, I think, two episodes already, but um, because we want to get all the editing and stuff down, we're going to do a batch release later on. So yeah. whenever this comes out, it might be out already. Um, check out Utopia. It should mm-hmm. it will be there. If it's not there, check out Utopia anyway. They have great yes, stuff there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I watched the first episode of that. It was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Lexi's yeah. an incredible GM and Brandy's yeah. so much fun to play with. Yes, for sure. Um, we got some very fun guests on as well. Also, I don't know when... We're still in the process of finding sponsorships, honestly. So I don't know when this is going to be coming out. But I'm going to be in a Strixhaven campaign as well. <laughs> um, not Shrixview, you, unfortunately, but I'm going to yeah. be in a Shrixhaven campaign called Higher Education. Um, it's going to be on yes, Vanish yeah, Channel. Yeah. That's V-A-N-A on Twitch. I actually got to take a bit of my Enchapter inspiration that I wanted to play and put yeah. into this character that I'm going to be playing there. So I'm very excited for that. The cast is incredible. You have like, yes. by, you've got Connie, you've got C, you've got Liv, you'd recognize from Strix, you the Strix. Um, we've got Hamna, like just a stellar cast with Banner as our GM. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You should check that out. I'm currently in a campaign called Kingmakers on Table Story, and that's going to be happening for the foreseeable future. It's a long-term campaign, yeah. Um, which has been a lot of fun. I play a, uh, a disgraced king who accidentally brought his kingdom to ruin, basically. <laughs> that's been a lot of fun to play with as well. You yeah. can check that out. And just check out French Royal Dice. We've always got campaigns. I'm, always, I'm going to be behind the scenes for the most part when it comes to French Royal Dice. I, I kind of enjoy the admin stuff yeah. and making things happen rather than be on screen. When it comes to friends um, forward or friends roll dice, sorry. I realize not everyone knows that we call it forward sometimes. <laughs> yeah. FWRD, we kind of pronounce it forward. Yeah. Um, for sure. But yeah, so check that out. We have a lot of campaigns in the um in the works currently happening in the backlog. Like there's a lot of stuff you, you I highly recommend checking out. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think there's anything else. I'm gonna hopefully soon, I guess all of you get to hear this. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, all of you get this as a treat. I'm going to hopefully soon be in an all black um, campaign run by Cat Scratch. Um, mm. That's K A T S K R A T C H H on Twitter and Twitch. I'm going to be running it with an uh, incredible cast that I'm not allowed to announce. Only I've been announced <laughs> because apparently me being in the cast is very obvious and everyone saw it coming anyway. So they announced me. <laughs> um, but I won't announce anyone else. But yeah, check, keep an eye out for that because it's going to be very cool. Everyone's characters. We had a session zero a couple of weeks ago and it was incredible. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Yeah. So, and yeah, and where can people find you on the internet should you want to be found? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Draconics. That's D R A K O N I Q U E S. That's where I stream, uh, not stream, that's where I tweet anything I'm up to, anything that's on my mind, occasional like guest appearances and stuff. Every, anything and everything I'm doing, you can find it there. I will mm-hmm. tweet about it at some point. So keep an eye out there. Amazing. Well, yeah, this has been so much fun. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to sit down officially and, uh, and have yeah. this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, thanks for sharing all your stories. And yeah, I'm, this is such a blast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, honestly. I'm excited yeah. for this. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be out in a month uh, for us. But um, yeah, thank you again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 